Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know what blood type you are? Is it A positive? A B? O, O positive? A? Anybody a C? I'm teasing. All right. So we all have different blood types, okay? I'm not even really sure what mine is, I think. My wife probably knows. I don't know. I'll have to look at my driver's license. But we all have different blood types in here. Now, we all have blood, right? That's a good thing because we'd be dead, okay? Or you'd be a vampire, and that wouldn't be good. So we all have blood. So we all have different types of blood. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of everything. Like, as far as I know, everybody out here has a car. And we all have different types of cars. Some of us have a Honda. My family's been a Honda family since the 80s. Uh, some of you may have a different type of Honda, even. may have an Accord or a Civic. Uh, or some of you may have a Chevy truck, things like that. Some of you may have a, a small Chevy sedan, uh, whatever. You may have an SUV or something like that. So we all have different types of cars, but we all have cars, but we all have different types of cars. We all have different types of phone. Maybe you have a landline. Maybe you're like, I don't have one of those stupid cell phones. So, you know, you have a landline, okay? Uh, maybe you have a flip phone. Maybe you have a cell phone, but you have a flip phone, okay? I mean, every flip phone, folks. We have any flip? All right, we have, all right, there's still a flip phone. All right, there's still the flip phone folks right there. Uh, wow, there you guys are, y'all are, welcome to the 21st century. Um, and uh, then some of us have smartphones. Anybody, we got smartphones? Okay, we all got those smartphones. How many iPhone people here? I, uh, iPhone, okay. How many Androids? Okay, I'm Andro- am I the only Android user here? Wow, I guess I have the... I used to be an iPhone user till I woke up. Um, so, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, we all have different types of houses, all right? Some of us have stick-built houses. Some of us have condos. Some of us have duplexes. Some of us live in apartment type of housing. So we all have different types of housing. Uh, Some of us have different retirement plans. Some out here have a 401k. I have a 403b, which is kind of different when you're in a nonprofit world. Um, Some people have Roth IRA. Some don't have a retirement plan, maybe. Uh, Maybe some people, your retirement plan is the lottery. Uh, I know that's some people's retirement plan. Uh, You know, we have different types of churches. You drive down the street, we have different types of churches. We have the Methodist church, we have the Baptist church, we've got the the charismatic church down the street, we've got the Christian church over there on Post and 16th or so. We've got all sorts of different types of churches. We have different types of businesses here. We have all different types of things. Now, one thing about the different types of things is you can tell, I mean, even though you may have two cars and they're two Hondas, but they're two different types of Hondas, but you can tell there's distinguishing characteristics, right? The Honda Accord is the bigger Honda, the Civic is the smaller Honda, or you may have like a, a phone and you can tell an iPhone has a different look, a different iOS to a, well, if you don't know what that is, ask your teenager, um, has a different iOS than an Android phone does, all right? And flip phones, I have no idea what those things have, but it, it's, di- it's different, okay? And, and we all have different types of homes. You can tell a difference between a brick home and, and maybe a, a condo and things like that, and your retirement plans are all different. We can tell those things. So even though we have the same of a lot of things, there are also different types of those things. Now, everybody in here, and those who are watching online, everybody in here has a heart, now, I'm not talking about the one that beats blood through your body. I'm talking about an emotional center. Every one of us has some sort of an emotional center. 
So we all have an emotional center, but we all have different types of emotional centers. And each of those different types have different benefits. Like there's a benefit between an Android phone and an iPhone. There's a benefit between a Honda Accord versus the benefits of a Honda Civic. There's a benefit of living in a, in a house versus the benefit of living in a condo or an apartment. There's, even though we all have the same, there's different types of those things and there's different benefits to those things. And even though we all have a different emotional center, we'll call that the heart, we all have different types of hearts. And if there's one thing I want you to write down today, and that's the big point of this message, is this. Your heart type determines your type of life. Your heart type determines your type of life. And those sermon inserts on that back page of your bullets and if you want to write that down. But your heart type, the kind of heart that you have, the type of hearts, we all have it. But the type of heart that you have determines the type of your life. So if you have your Bibles, hope you do, turn to 1 John chapter 3. Again, we've been traveling through uh, the, the letter of 1 John. And, of course, as you know, the, the story, just a little quick background. John, of course, is, uh, he's a senior adult at this point, And he's, this is later into the first century. The church has been around 30, 40 years or so at this point. So the church has started. The church is growing. The church is spreading. At the same time, in the churches, there's all sorts of things starting to happen. You're starting to have false teachers that are starting to infiltrate the church under the guise of, uh, of being uh, good teachers. And what they're starting to teach is false doctrine. And clearly you have in the church, like there's always been, people who are believers and people who are unbelievers that are all gathering together in those, those meeting times as they're meeting in homes throughout the area. And so John, his big concern as he is, again, in the later years of his life, he really wants to make sure that the people in the church really enjoy a love relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And so he's writing this letter to Christ's followers, warning them of some big pitfalls that this, that's starting to infiltrate the church. And so he's encouraging them to make sure that they have a great relationship with Christ. And he's telling us in this letter how that works out. And in this section... I believe John tells us that in the church, and again, there's unbelievers, there's believers, there's false teachers, there's good teachers. In the church, there are, even though everybody in the church has a heart, whether you're a false teacher or not, whether you're, good, whether you're a believer or whether you're not, we all have a heart. John says there are different types of hearts. Now, the first two types of hearts, honestly, are not the type of heart you want to have. Let me just give you the first one here. There's one heart type, and that is a rebellious heart. A rebellious heart. There are people in the church who have a rebellious heart. L look down here at what John says at, um, <clears throat> at verse 11. He says this, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. You should love one another. So from the beginning, this has been the message. Love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another. This is the message. Unlike Cain. Now you may know the story of Cain and Abel who was of the evil one. In other words, he was a child of the devil. That's what John would have called him. He was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. Now, you probably know the story. In the Bible, Adam and Eve have two sons. They also had many other sons and daughters. By the way, people always say, who, where did Cain get his wife? He married his sister. All right, I know in our world they're like, Ugh. but in that age, that's what happened. They had other sons and daughters. Okay, so that's an easily answered question. And so, but they had Cain and Abel, 
uh, two sons, and among other sons and daughters. And so Cain and Abel are out there, they're brothers, and apparently somewhere along the way, God told them, this is what I desire. I desire a, a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. That will be what I will accept as atonement for your sins. Now, the law that later comes through Moses hasn't been given, but apparently this is an understood thing. Because after all, God had to have the first killing, which was an animal, to cover Adam and Eve, okay? Uh, by the way, if you believe in evolution and try and marry that with a Bible, then you have a theological problem because if dinosaurs lived 65 million years before humanity, then you had death before sin. And you have a problem theologically. So you can't mix evolution and creationism. It doesn't work. But that's just a side note. So anyways, so you have Cain and Abel here. And, and so apparently they knew what to do. But as you know the story... Cain didn't want to offer God an animal sacrifice. Again, you have to understand this is right at the beginning. You don't have currency. The way that you, you exchanged was livestock and, and, and farming and things like that. Now, I could ask Brother John, and I'm sure he would hopefully agree with me, what's more valuable, corn or a cow? The cow. Right? The cow is going to be more valuable. Uh, Laura and I have been watching on Netflix, uh, binge watching this series called Heartland. It's, one of the, it's the longest running Canadian television series. And uh, it's a really great story. It's set up in Canada, beautiful country. And, and it's about a girl who's kind of a horse whisperer. And in one of the, um, one of the episodes, a rich guy had bought his daughter a horse, a jumping horse. And he commented, and I haven't researched it, but he commented that horse cost him $150,000. Again, livestock would have been a whole lot more expensive. And so Cain's like, you know what, God, I don't really want to offer you the sheep and the goat. You know, I don't want to offer those things because, man, God, that takes a lot of work, a lot of time. And, you know, that, that goat's a, worth a lot more money on the market than, that, than the, this soybean. So I'm going to do this, God. I'm going to offer you my best soybeans and my best corn, all right? And we're going to light the fire up, and we're going to, I'm going to offer that, and that's going to be it. And Abel, of course, is like, no, I'm going to worship God on his own terms. I'm going to offer God a sacrifice. And, of course, Cain doesn't like that. You know the story. And Cain's really mad. And God comes to Cain and says, Cain, listen, sin is crouching at your door. Okay? There are some that say that when mankind fell, he could no longer respond to God. But God comes to Cain and gives him an offer. Sin is crouching at your door. Are you going to listen or not? And of course, you know the story. Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. Let me tell you a benefit of this heart because Cain had a rebellious heart. He didn't want to obey God. He wanted to offer God on his terms. And let me tell you the benefit of a rebellious heart, destruction. The benefit of a rebellious heart is destruction. Because what does Cain do? He does not want to obey God. He wants to worship God on his own terms. And, and, and the benefit of that is he's going to destroy. And he's going to destroy his relation, any chance of a relationship with God. And he's certainly going to destroy his brother. He's going to take his brother's life. That's a result of that kind of heart. There's another result of a rebellious heart, and that is this, isolation. Because when Cain kills Abel, God says... You're cast out of my presence. And he marks Cain, and Cain is sent from his presence. He is now isolated from God. He's isolated from his family. I mean, 
here, you know, Adam and Eve, their son just killed their other son. I mean, obviously, there's not going to be good family relations here. Cain has to flee. Cain has to run. He has to leave. There is isolation. And again, when a person has a rebellious heart, now let me remind you this. Cain and Abel were both offering gifts to God. But Cain was doing it on his terms, not God's terms. He had a rebellious heart because he wouldn't relent and repent of his sin. And God warned him, sin is crouching at your door. He then murdered his brother, which led to destruction, which led to isolation. That's what will happen when we have a rebellious heart. When we have a rebellious heart. Cain was totally isolated from God. And you know, God told Cain the truth. God told him, don't do this. And he said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. And John says, he is the son of the evil one. I know that sounds harsh. I mean, and I know when I preach this sermon, sometimes people are like, you know, if you're not a believer, you're truly not a child of God. Again, everybody has value in God's sight. Everybody's created in God's image. We are to love one another. Okay, we're to love our neighbor. But only the person who has responded to Christ's call for salvation can legitimately call God Father. That's just the Bible. And if you don't believe me, here's what Jesus said. Again, to religious people, the Jews, he said, you are of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And that's exact. Isn't that exactly what Cain did? Cain was a murderer. He was, as John said, he was of the evil one. So again, Cain and Abel were brothers physically, but not spiritually. Not spiritually. Even though they went and both worshipped God, only one was truly worshipping God out of obedience. The other was worshipping out of rebellion because he wanted to do it his way. And the result was destruction and isolation. Again, ultimately, your heart type determines your type of life. So if you're going to have a rebellious heart and say, God, I'm going to do it my way, I'm just going to tell you at the end of the day, it's going to result in isolation from God. It's going to result in a destructive life if we're going to be like Cain but there's another heart type and that is this a hateful heart there's another type in this passage a hateful heart I don't know what these two girls did to their father but it had to be horrible because there was a guy named Mr. Donahoe in 1935 passed away and here's what he wrote in his will to his two daughters. Unto my two daughters, Frances Marie and Denise Victoria, by reason of their unfilial attitude towards a doting father, I leave the sum of one dollar to each and a father's curse. May their lives be fraught with misery and happiness and poignant sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of a lingering, malignant, and torturous nature. <sighs> wow. What did these girls do? And then at the end it says, May their souls rest in hell and suffer the torments of eternity, condemned for eternity. That's a hateful heart. To say that about your own two daughters, I don't know what those girls did, but that is not worth, no. That is a man with a hateful heart. With the shootings yesterday. That's a man with a hateful heart. He has, a, he has a heart just like we do, but he's got a hateful heart. 
And, and here, here's what John writes to believers. He says in verse 13, don't be surprised, brothers, he's talking to Christ followers, if the world hates you, okay? So let, let's, let's not be, you know, don't be surprised, okay? The world doesn't want God. The world doesn't think it needs God. And, and here you are saying that Jesus is the only way. They're not going to agree with you. There, a lot of people are going to hate you. They're going to reject your message that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And again, not everybody, but as a, as a, by and large, the world system says, no, we reject that. We believe we can all earn our way to God and things like that. And, and, and we don't need a Messiah. Jesus isn't the only way. Just as long as you're sincere and you sincerely believe, then you're probably going to get there wherever there is and things like that. And here's the deal. Christianity is going to be out of step with that. If we're going to speak the truth in love, it's always going to be out of step with that. So John says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. But look at what he says next. We know that we have passed from death to life. Here's why. Because we love our brothers. So that's a good right there, okay? Right there. If you love other followers in Christ, that's a good testimony that you've passed from death and life. Here, here's the problem. The one who does not love remains in death. Look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I mean, here's a sad reality. There are people in the church who identify as Christians who have a hateful heart towards the church. They have a hateful heart towards other Christians. And they, and they look like everybody else, but you listen to them talk, you watch their actions, and I've encountered people like this. Read their Facebook posts, and they're hateful towards the body of Christ. There was a visitor that went to a zoo one time and he was looking at the lion and he was chatting to the zookeeper. He said, you know, that lion acts just like my kitty cat at home. And it looks like cuddly and nice and things like that. He said, you know, it's a shame you have it behind the bars. And the zookeeper said, sir, there's murder in that lion's heart. If I didn't have that lion behind bars, it'd kill you. And it's the reality. There's so many people in the church that there's murder in their heart. And the result of a hateful heart is death. John says here, it's death. Now, literally, death in the Bible is separation. There is separation. In verse 14, if you look at that, he says, the one who does not remain, who does not love, remains in death. In other words, the person who doesn't love is separated from God. They're separated from God's peace. They're separated from God's joy. They're separated from God's love. You know, I don't know about you, but if, if, you, if you follow the news and if you keep up on things that are going on, we live in what is now being termed the day of rage. Have you noticed that? Everybody's outraged. I'm just outraged. You know, we're living in the day of rage. In fact, Ed Stetzer just wrote a book that was just published, Christians in the Day of Rage, because that's the term you constantly hear. And you know, when I see people, they're constantly outraged. And there's, no matter what happens, they always, you know, no matter what a political leader does, they always have an opposite viewpoint of that. Okay, even, even if things, you know, we would say, yeah, that's the right reaction, they're always going to have the opposite reaction. I mean, no matter what a person does, no matter if they don't like that person, or they don't like that person's political viewpoint, they're always mad. When I look at those people, I never see joy. They're just always mad about something. I never see peace. Where's upset? We live in a day of rage. We're like the man who didn't like people slapping him on the back, so he put TNT on his back so that the next guy that slapped him would lose his arm. Of course, it would kill him. But that's how we are. We're like that, you know. I'm going to show him. And then, you know, of course, you get blown up. 
But that's what we live in, the day of rage. People are so hateful, and as a result, they're separated. And, and you can have people in the church that, that they go to church, they may be members of the church, but they're so hateful in their heart towards God and the things of God. And you're like, why are they even here? Well, maybe husband wants them here, or wife wants them here, or, or the boyfriend wants them there, or the girlfriend wants them, I just got to go because I feel like, it's, you know, but you, when you listen to them and read their posts and things like that, it's just like they're so angry and, and, and enraged all the time, and they're dead, John says. They're separated from God's love. Again, remember, your heart type determines your type of life. So if you want to have a rebellious heart, it's going to be a destructive, isolated life. If you're going to have a hateful heart, it's going to be a life of separation, never going to be close to God, never going to be close to others. Now, those first two types of hearts have no place in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, there's people in the body of Christ with those two types of hearts. But the next two types of hearts, the one I'm getting ready to say next, isn't the one you really want, but it doesn't mean you're not a believer. And that is this, an indifferent heart, an indifferent heart. Look at verse 16, the first part. He says, this is how we know we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Now, here's the deal. A true believer has experienced God's love, God's self-sacrificing love. And let me tell you something. Salvation is transformative. If you've truly been saved... It has trans, God has transformed you in some way. Listen, you've transformed from death to life. You've transformed from a saint, uh, from a sinner to a saint. You've transformed from a rebel to a child of God. You've transformed from a child of the devil to a child of God. You've transformed into a temple of God. You've transformed into a new creation. You've transferred from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You've transferred from being guilty before God to being declared righteous by God. That happened when you became a believer. A true believer has a transformed heart. A true believer has a transformed mind, a transformed will, a transformed heart. It doesn't mean a true believer never sins, but they certainly want to sin less. It, it means that a true believer doesn't walk around with a hateful heart because they've experienced the love of God. It, doesn't, it means that a true believer doesn't walk around with, I'll show you God and go my own way. Why? Because they've repented of their rebellion. A true believer has a transformed heart. That's what happens at salvation. And look at John. He says, this is how we come to know love. He laid down his life for us. So, so we, at one point in our life, if you're a follower of Christ, you said, wow, what Christ did for me is phenomenal. He self-sacrificed himself. And here's what John says. Because of that, we should lay down our lives for our brothers. And look at verse 17. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Now, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, you can't. If a true believer sees somebody in need and has the means to do it, Make sure that you understand that, all right? Because, you know, I, I know some right, great-hearted Christians who do things that they don't have the means to do, and then they're in a big bind. If you have the means to do it, and you see somebody in need, then if you're a true Christ follower, you will do what you can to help them. I, I, Andy Stanley has a quote, and I really like this, because I know, here, here's the thing, we're going to do the blessing box, and it's going to happen. 
And you're like, well, that blessing box isn't going to solve the problems of our community. You're right. But it's a bridge. And it's a way that we can start ministering to our community. And I love what Andy Stanley says. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. You, we can't fix all the problems on the east side of Indy. But we can do for one what we'd like to do for all. We, we can start with those little bridges. Again, the blessing that, that when you saw was, wasn't really big. It was like a, a little overgrown birdhouse. Okay, that's fine. But we, it, maybe that's how we start. We can do for one what we want to do for all. But if we have need, John says, if you see a brother or sister who has a need and you're able to help them, then do it. And here's what he says in verse 18. Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth or action. Truth and action. In other words, just don't talk about it. Do it. We can, we can sit here and talk about what we're going to do. We've got to do it. We can't just sit here and talk about it. I mean, it's nice, gets us fired up, gets us excited. I'm excited about it. But if we don't do anything, what good is it going to do? Right? Several years ago, there was a, a woman in New York City named um, Kitty Genovese that was brutally murdered. And what got the attention of so many people was that 38 people witnessed her beating, being beaten up and ultimately killed, and nobody offered to help. 38 people watched as this lady was beaten and ultimately killed, and nobody offered to help. John says, look, if you're a true follower of Christ and you see a brother or sister in need and you have the ability to help him, one of the ways you demonstrate is you do something. You help them. But unfortunately, he asked that rhetorical question. Unfortunately, a lot of people are indifferent. And let me tell you the result of an indifferent heart. It's a dead faith. It's a dead faith. Indifference is not love in action. It's, oh, I'm so sorry, and then you walk on. Oh, I wish we could do something, but... I'm not going to do anything. Oh, I could help you, but I'm not going to help you. That's not love in action. That's an indifferent heart. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians do that. Notice in verse 16, go back here. He says, he says that Jesus laid down his life for us. Okay, so we shouldn't have an indifferent heart. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's plural. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's plural. But then in verse 17, he switches to the singular. And he says this. He goes from the plural to the singular and beholds his brother singular in need. In other words, you Christ has laid down his life for us. This is what he's done for us. If you're a Christ follower and you see, now let's go down to the individual basis. We've talked about us as a group let's go down to you if you see a brother or sister in need and you have the means to do something and don't do it how can the love of god reside in you really you have an indifferent heart you have a dead faith and that doesn't do anybody good again love will result in action jesus loved us by laying down his life for us and verse 18 john says let us Love, not with what we say. Remember, that's a big word John keeps using. You can say anything. But with what we do. Again, your heart type determines your type of life. Now, here's the last one. We all have a heart. We have a rebellious heart, which as a believer, Christ follower, you really can't have, in my opinion. 
because that heart's destructive and isolated from God. We can have a hateful heart, which results really in death, just separation from God. We're just always enraged. You can be a believer, but still have an indifferent heart. You can see a brother or sister in need and not do anything about it. And in that kind of heart, the benefit is you have a dead faith. You just talk about it, but you don't do anything about it. Here's the last heart, though, and this is the one you want to have. A self-sacrificing heart of love. A self-sacrificing heart of love. Have you ever struggled with your salvation? If you have, you know, what do you do? Pray harder? Ignore it? What do you do? Well, certainly you need to go back and say, Lord, you know, let's get this straight. Has there been that point in your life when you truly responded to Christ? Ask God to speak to your heart. But let me tell you something. A good evidence of whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ is what you do for Christ. If you have a self-sacrificing heart of love for Christ and for His people, let me tell you some results of that. First of all, there's going to be assurance. If you say, yes, I know I responded to Christ. I know I responded to His self-sacrifice of love for me. And yes, I repented of my sin. I'm not going to be rebellious. I repented of my sin. I acknowledge my rebelliousness before God. I repented of my sin. I asked Christ to be my Savior. If you've truly done that, John says, okay, if you truly grasp His self-sacrifice on your behalf, then the last thing, the the thing you want to do is you want to self-sacrifice for Him. And one of the benefits of that, one of the results of that, is you're going to have assurance. Look at verse 19. He says, says this, laying down our lives for our brothers, okay, if you, if you will, if you will self-sacrifice for those who are in need, this is how we know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence, okay, here's how we're going to do it, here's how we're going to have confidence, okay, let me just paraphrase verse 19, it's by our actions that we know we are living in the truth, it's by our actions that we know we're living in the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God, it's how you and I live, that gives us assurance, okay? Now remember, good works doesn't make you a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you're going to want to do good works for others. Why? Because you've experienced God's self-sacrificial love. And so as a follower of Christ, we should be willing to self-sacrifice for others. If you're not willing to self-sacrifice for others, you've got to ask yourself, do I have a hateful heart? Maybe I'm not really a follower of Jesus. If you're willing, and again, it doesn't mean you, you, you can't fix everybody. But where you are able to, if you see a brother in need, then you need to have that self-sacrificing heart of love. And John says if you have that kind of a heart and that kind of a ministry heart, one of the benefits, one of the results is assurance of your salvation. Assurance. Because you're doing what your loving Heavenly Father did for you. And you're in step with your loving Heavenly Father. Here's another benefit, and that is you have confidence. This is going to give you confidence. Again, I think when people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I think I am, but I'm really struggling with my salvation. Well, first of all, you need to make sure that you truly repented and responded to Christ. And if you're like, yeah, I know I did that, but why am I struggling with this? Maybe it's because you're not self-sacrificing for others. Maybe you're not loving others. Because John says one of the benefits of a self-sacrificing heart of love is confidence. Here's what he says in verse 20. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. In other words, John says, look, even if you have those moments of doubt, 
if you are showing that self-sacrificial love to others that was shown to you, you'll have confidence. You'll have confidence. God knows the truth. God knows your heart. And look at verse 21. He says, Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. So John's saying, look, and don't take this verse out of context. People say, oh, you know, it means I can do whatever I want. You know, just ask God for anything. He'll give it to me. No, here's the hinge saying, we, when he says we ask whatever we want to receive from him, the hinge is that you're doing it in ministry, that you're doing it to show self-sacrificial love. John says if you're ministering to people, when you pray, you're going to be in line with the Father's will, and he's going to give you what you need to do that kind of ministry. And he says in verse 23, now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You need to love one another. So remember, the result of self-sacrificing heart of love is one last thing, and that is confirmation. When you and I have responded to the self-sacrificing love of God, and then we, out of our love for Him, respond to follow believe, fellow believers who need help. And even those who aren't maybe believers, we just love one another. We're doing what we can. We're going to have assurance. I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. We're going to have confidence in who we are. And we're going to have confirmation. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, look at what John says in verse 24. He says, the one who keeps his commands remains in him. What's his commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, abides in him, and God in him. And this is how we know, and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. God will witness to your spirit. Yes, you are my child. You're doing what I called you to be. This is how you are to live. Remember, your heart type determines the type of life. I mean, what kind of life do you want? Do you want a hateful heart and a life of separation and death? Do you, do you want a destructive heart? Do you, do, you, do you want that rebellious heart and the destruction and isolation? Do you want an indifferent heart where you have dead faith? Or do you want to have an obedient heart? Which brings assurance, confirmation, and confidence. Remember, actions speak louder than words. And John is saying, are you going to love with that kind of heart? What kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart is Warren Baptist going to have? Are we going to be a church that's indifferent to our community? Or are we going to be a church that says, okay, we're going to do for one what we wish we could do for all? We can't feed everybody on the east side, but we can put a little blessing box out there. We can't clothe everybody on the east side. But we might be able to have a clothing closet once a month to help as many as we can with what we have. We, we may not be able to take care of every single mother on the east side, but you know what? We can provide something for their kids and in the process share the gospel with their kids in the process minister to them and hopefully create bridges where they'll come and, and we can have the opportunity to interact with them and share the gospel with them. We, we can't give every kid a great Christmas, but hey, we can give shoeboxes. And we can do that ministry. We can't, we can't 
we can't get a home for every homeless person. We, we can't fix their life, but we can give them a little blessing bag to help them with another day and have the gospel in it. We, we, can't, we can't fix everything, but what we can do, we will do. Because we love. We were loved, we'll love. And that will strengthen your faith. That will strengthen your faith. James, uh, John says, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. What you do. So let me ask you, what's your heart type? Destructive? Hateful? If you have either of those two, I would argue you don't know the Savior. Because how can you have that kind of heart when you experience God's self-sacrificial love? Maybe you're like, yeah, I know I'm a believer, but I have an indifferent heart. And you need to get back to the cross and stop talking about it and start doing it. I hope everybody in here says, I want a self-sacrificial heart of love. That's what I want. Let's pray. Father, for all of us to have that self-sacrificial heart of love, we have to respond, first of all, in repentance and faith what Christ has done for us. And if we have done that, Father, we have to respond to our brother and sister who is in need. Help us at Warren Baptist Church to be a church that responds to the best of our ability to a community. I know we're a small church, but we can have a big impact. And Father, we may be few in number, but we can have a large ministry by just creating those bridges. Father, I pray that we won't be a people who just talk about it, but we'll do it. And Father, I pray if there's somebody here this morning who says, I know I'm a Christ follower, but I've been struggling with my, my salvation. I don't know. Maybe I'm doubting. Lord, I pray that they'll look at their heart. Are they truly loving their neighbor as their self? And maybe there's some here this morning that their faith is kind of dead. Father, all of us need your help. We just want to have that self-sacrificial heart of love. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I pray this week that you'll think about what was said this morning and you'll have that self-sacrificial heart of love. Hey, Halloween, kids are coming to our doors, whatever. You know what? Just give them a little track. You don't have to make a big show of it. Just put it in the back. All right? That's just a way of showing a little love. Because look, if you truly love people, don't you want them to know Christ? I do. If you truly believe He's the way, you know, I want people to know Christ. You say, well, they're just going to throw it away. I'm, that's not for me to worry about. All I'm to do is to be a witness. And just that's a simple tool. So if you, if you have kids come to your door and haven't picked those up, please do so. If you, if you can help us with uh, the blessing box, because it looks like we're going to have to kind of put something together. I don't think it'll take us very long to put together, but we just need some help. Uh, let me know. Let Brother Tom know. We'll get something put together here. But do for one what you wish you could do for all. Show your love and you'll get assurance, confirmation, and confidence.